Welcome to Mirror and a Flashlight, a podcast from the Chicago Women's Health Center. In this podcast, we explore the history, stories, and practices of the Chicago Women's Health Center, for short, CWHC, a feminist collective that's been evolving and transforming for decades. I'm Arielle Mejia, your host and the producer of this show. I think if you look at any women's organization that started in the 70s and still is around today, each one of them has their story of how they made, if they, and how they made the transition to be trans inclusive. This episode is the story of CWHC's Trans Greater Access Project, also known as TGAP. The other day, I was on a walk in my neighborhood was one of those really special wintry days where the cold isn't daunting but refreshing if you can believe that and the sun is out and the combination of the blasting rays and the brisk air are reminders of how alive you are i was listening to a playlist my friend sent me that was chock full of late 60s early 70s deep cuts Roaches, Jim Croce, Leonard Cohen, Joan Armitrading. And the music mixed with the weather and my heart beating to this music and enlivening me to create the pace of my walk. Nostalgia profoundly grabbed hold of my heart. I could feel myself time traveling. I was entering portals to the past and the future with every turn and step. I felt attuned with the thousands and millions of footsteps that walked the pavement right under my feet before me. It made me feel like I was one of them, and they were me, and before I knew it, tears were streaming down my face. Does everyone have these moments? I think we do, right? The moments that connect us to the past by way of the present, and create a vision for the future that is clear, that's exciting, that's new, and important. I felt so grateful, so profoundly grateful to be here. Nothing makes me feel more present than the thought of ghosts. And by ghosts, I mean history. The history of how a woman's organization that started in the 70s and grew to become fully trans-inclusive is how you might expect. It is rocky, it is long, and it made mistakes that caused harm, and the community held them accountable, and they made changes, and they grew, and moved on to the next challenge, and grew from that, and continued to evolve. And it's important to like to name that and, and not, I think, gloss over and forget those pieces of our history, too, because they help inform us going forward. This is how and why today CWHC is a leader in providing trans health care in the Midwest. Andy, a client who I spoke with for this show, says... The Chicago Women's Health Center doesn't pathologize transness. It's like, that's the rest of, like, the medical world, right? Is that, like, we are viewed as diseased people. Juby... My name is Juby Dutcher. Until very recently, I was the building specialist and the TCAP coordinator for Chicago Women's Health Center. 
I'm a trans woman and um, an ordained priest and a comic book artist. <laughs> Jess. I'm Jess Kane. I'm a former collective member and staff member from 2001 to 2017. Terry, who you've heard before. I'm Terry Capsalis. I'm a long-term collective member. And Riley. My name is Riley Johnson. I run a nonprofit called Rad Remedy. What Rad Remedy focuses on is connecting people to quality care nationwide. And we focus specifically on queer and trans populations. Together, we bring you the story of how CWHC became a trans-inclusive health center and a trans-inclusive feminist collective. The conversations around providing services for trans folks began, according to Terry, around the late 90s, where prior, CWHC advertently had a for-women, by-women vibe. I just remember that on any given day, we said the word women, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. That was, that was the focus. The tagline was women helping women. And there wasn't, it wasn't women with a Y, but it kind of felt like it. Women with a Y. When you replace the E or the A in the man spelling of the word, a way of asserting that a woman is not a subset of a man and often used as the spelling in the phrase woman born woman, which was intended to exclude trans people. And I think it wasn't until the late 90s that we really started having conversations about what it might look like to be trans inclusive as both a collective and in terms of our services. We were aware that there was some assumptions about who we serve and who we don't and what our beliefs were. And, and I think there was a whole combination of the way that people felt about that inside of the collective, some embarrassment, some like, ooh, we got to fix this. We got to fix this quickly. It's like really against what we're all about. But also recognizing the route to what I was calling fix this, um, but really evolution and change to become trans inclusive was a long one. And that we had a lot of work to do internally to get there. When I think of our staff and our volunteers and collective members, I think many of us were either, there were people exploring their gender identity. There were folks who you know, we had friends and lovers and partners who were on the, like, identified as trans or gender nonconforming. So it was becoming more personal and present in different ways. In addition to, like, who we serve, it was very much also mirrored in who we were becoming on the inside. When we began realizing that we were already serving trans clients, but we were making them invisible. And we were not serving them with the same respect and care that is like paramount to the health center's model of care and why we're here. In CWHC's old location at Sheffield and Clark, they had an upstairs area where they saw clients and the downstairs where there were additional office spaces and a meeting area. It was here that Jess, Terry, and other collective members at the time, organized a meeting where they invited members of Chicago's trans communities to weigh in and discuss how CWHC could support trans clients. At the time, Riley was dating a collective member who suggested he accompany her to this meeting, which he gladly did as he was leading trainings in Chicago around trans issues, talking to providers, and helping trans friends get care. After that meeting, Riley later came to Terry's class called Wandering Uterus Journeys Through Gender, Race, and Medicine to talk about the difficulty of navigating the healthcare system as a trans person. The insight that I, am, I created or like brought to the table, I guess, 
was actually about those failures or falling short of other organizations. So health providers, my friends having issues or people who I knew having um, specific issues and then me bringing it to the table and saying, you know, these are, this is how it's happening in other spaces. How can what is happening here at the health center make sure that it doesn't do that? We knew the history of how trans folks may not feel safe at the health center or feel welcomed. And so it put a little more pressure on, like, we got to make sure we do this well. We don't want people coming in here thinking they're going to receive trans-informed, respectful care and feeling the opposite, that thinking you're going to get good care and be respected and having a bad experience can actually be worse than if you went in expecting that you'd receive crappy care. From this meeting came many, many, many more meetings between Terry, Jess, and Riley at some of the very beginning stages of TGAP was simply the three of us sitting around a table talking about language. Because one of the things we really realized was that that's where it all starts. In terms of model of care, the things we were doing were trauma-informed. They were right there. They, they had what was necessary. But what we needed to do was really focus on language, which started with looking at history take intake forms and just what is the language we're using, looking at the waiting room, what what is the imagery, what is the language. A basic tenet was that we knew this care had to be trans-informed. That follows along with um, how we provide care and that we knew that that was like paramount, that we have trans folks informing the care um, because Trans folks know best what they need and what they're looking for and what is a good visit and a good relationship with the healthcare provider. And it coupled well with the health center's MO and the core of how we approach things. We always, language was always very important to us. We debated over how to ask a question in a history taking regularly. And we modified that based on what we were thinking, what, what we thought was the most open-ended way to ask a question, never asking people to out themselves, but rather provide the option. I think it was important as a member of a community and as somebody who's had bad experiences to have the ability for those experiences to inform and to fix the system. I think also helps those clients. I, as, as a client myself, it's helped me understand myself and, and understand what I can say in a medical environment model of care of the health center was all about that, was all about letting people name for themselves what their identity is, what their concerns are, what they they need, um, why they're here for that visit. Having members of the community as decision makers and stakeholders made it so that CWHC was not operating in a vacuum to bring the TGAP program into being. Like their gynae program, having an informed consent model went hand in hand with what was already happening at the health center. Educating people on their options for hormone replacement therapy, also called HRT for short, and letting them decide for themselves what they wanted based on the information provided. At the time, this was not common for receiving hormones at all. Before the health center, I hadn't seen a lot of places, uh, at least in Chicago, that were operating with an informed consent model for hormones. Um, and it it's since become a thing that is um, it is considered best practice across worldwide actually at this point. But um, but it's definitely something that as much as it has been was so core to you know to health center approach with it. I think it's something that isn't always elsewhere. Our key for the health center, which are harm reduction and informed consent, which ended up being really key to TGAP. 
informed consent being like, we're not going to diagnose you with a mental disorder. We're going to explain to you the ways that hormones interact with bodies, all the different ways that happens. And then you're the one who makes the decision. Um, You're the one who knows your body and your situation best. And based on that, you're the one in charge. We never upheld the gender binary in it either. And that someone, like what someone decides they're going for, what's right for their gender identity in their expression in their body and what they decide about hormones, how much, when, if they want to stop um, their decisions about surgery, what, like the no prescribed ideas on what, what it means, but really allowing people and affirming people in that being their decision and that they know best, not a provider. Riley, by being willing to be a presence and being such a knowledgeable presence with your background in health education and all all the various ways you've been an advocate for trans health issues and rights. And then Jess, with this just kind of gentle, obstinate persistence of moving the collective forward of, can we agree upon this? Can we agree upon this? Can we agree upon this to finally get the mission changed, get that done so that we didn't at least have to have that conversation over and over and over again? I think one of the benefits of the collective structure at that time was we couldn't implement before we were ready because we couldn't make the change until everyone was on board to vote. And there were a lot of meetings where we tried. I remember some like tear, a lot of tears around that time um, where we thought we were going to get there and sometimes caught on a technicality at a collective meeting. But it also meant too that it meant like a couple people not on board could keep the organization from moving forward, even if the majority of folks were like, yes, this is the right thing. In 2008, after hours upon hours of deliberation at collective meetings to get a unanimous vote, they changed the mission of the organization to include providing services for trans clients. And from there, continued the extensive and ongoing work of training all staff and volunteers. And each committee began the work of planning and executing changes to make their services offered trans-inclusive. This ranged from updating language, written and verbal everywhere, and building the clinical expertise needed to expand services. After launching services to provide guiding care to transmasculine and gender nonconforming clients, and seeing clients who were using hormones without clinical support, the Clinical Services Committee then spearheaded a pilot to offer hormone replacement therapy to transmasculine clients. I feel like it's an important part of the story and the history, the kind of misstep hurt that we caused. I was thinking the same thing. This, however was what Terry and Jess called the misstep. What happened at some point in there was that the fact that we had moved forward with serving transmasculine folks first, and I think probably weren't as transparent as we needed to be about what our plan was and why, we ended up causing harm. We hurt people through that. Gratefully, like the community, our communities called us out. Um, and said, you're, you're bas- we're repeating, right, this, this hurt and this harm that feminist communities have caused in the past and over and over again by excluding trans women. 
gynae care for people assigned female at birth, including people who were getting HRT from elsewhere but still needed gynae care, was already happening at CWHC before the pilot program. CWHC started with those looking for masculinizing HRT because they were seeing clients using hormones from friends or the street without any support from a provider or any monitoring. Feeling the urgency in a provider's duty to care for the well-being of their clients, this opened a doorway and helped convince those who weren't originally comfortable with expanding to hormones that it was needed. They were also familiar with the bodies and care of those assigned female at birth, and it was quicker than building the capacity to create both sets of care protocols and raising the funds and hiring providers who would be clinically qualified to manage the care of bodies of folks assigned male at birth. At the time, it was both the path of least resistance due to capacity and an acknowledgement of what CWHC's strengths were clinically at the time, namely the care of those assigned female at birth. The pilot thus excluded trans women from accessing HRT at the Chicago Women's Health Center. The path to providing hormone replacement therapy to trans women had been filled with roadblock after roadblock. Some collective members were also resistant to adding any hormone services without funding or additional capacity to support it, but responding to the need in current clients. Jess, Terry, and others in clinical services saw this as a doorway in, and they took it, with the plan that after learning from this pilot, they could then implement a pilot for providing feminizing hormones with additional providers. It wasn't that clinical services planned to never offer HRT for feminizing clients, though they started this pilot regardless of having the resources to offer it to everyone from the start. Though unintended, it was not a coincidence that CWHC had mirrored the feminist movement at large and the legacy of excluding trans women from its movement building and spaces. Learning about this misstep got my gears really spinning. Is this an example of how transphobia is baked into the cake of feminist healthcare that predates Chicago Women's Health Center? Did it really boil down to the feminist health movement linking systematic oppression to body parts like vaginas and uteruses, and that their ideology just could not comprehend that bodies do not define us and that actually using body parts to define our identities is the exact same oppression that they were fighting against to begin with. This was part of Jess's gentle yet persistent obstinance, that serving trans clients was part of the mission all along. I mean, I think a lot of this would be more of a kind of no-brainer situation now because of where we are culturally in terms of trans rights, etc., um, and gender justice. And that there is this knowledge now that, of course, gender justice includes LGBT and the T in LGBT. And as trans folks became more visible within our society and our culture, there was a recognition of how the very things that they faced within medicine were very parallel to the kinds of, of issues that cis women had faced in terms of oppression. And then CWHC stepped it up. They apologized publicly 
in addition to being consistently transparent henceforth with where they were in the process of providing healthcare and HRT to trans women as it evolved. It wasn't our intent, but it was the impact, is that we, we harmed folks. We didn't do right by our communities. And thank you for holding us to account on that. And we worked hard on creating a public apology and talking with folks and explaining, here's our trajectory, here's our plan, so that they could also continue to hold us accountable. Like, here's the timeline in which we're planning to implement um, feminizing hormone therapy. When we were making appointments, we explained to people where we were at. We put it on our website in a way that was like very transparent about where we're at, that we've done all our homework, but we're, all, we're in learning. We're, we're still learning and our clients help us learn and um, making that really transparent. So not ever pretending to be the expert, um, which is part of our model of care in general, but something we wanted to make really explicit with trans communities, knowing that we would learn from providing care when we hadn't been. When Jess says they were learning from their clients, she doesn't mean about the care itself. The TGAP providers at CWHC were committed to being partners in care, understanding the client to be the expert, but not responsible for educating the health worker. This was an important distinction then and still is today. Receiving client feedback and honing the care continues to be TGAP's North Star. That was a very clear message, is that trans folks are having to train their providers. Um, and what we mean by trans-informed care, or what we mean, what the health center means by learning from clients and clients being their experts of their own bodies, is something very different, right? We, our job is to provide and know the medical information, make it accessible, um, in terms of understandable to average people, right? Um, and help people think about it in the concept of, you know, in their life and their body and what they're wanting. Not that the folks who are seeing us should have to be like informing us and teaching us about that. If you're like having to teach your provider what they should know versus your provider saying, here's the medical information, here's a recommendation, but this depends on, you know, and, and people getting to inform their care of like, this is what's important to me. This is what I want for my body. This is my concern. My biggest concern is X. Um, feels very different. Hello there. Hey, Juby. How you doing? Juby Dutcher who was the first TGAP coordinator to weigh in on feminizing right. hormones How are you doing? and the billing specialist at CWHC during the launch of the feminizing hormone replacement therapy side of TGAP. She recently moved to Florida. Her last days at the health center were this past December. You know, you know about the misstep. I know exactly about the misstep. When I was job hunting, you know, this is after, after my transition, it took me two years to find a job. <laughs> because it's hard as for a trans woman to get work. And um, so a couple of different people said, why don't you try at the Chicago Women's Health Center? And I was like, oh, it's a feminist place. <laughs> you know, I just automatically assumed it was a TERF place, right? TERF, an acronym for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminism. But I looked on the website and I did notice that there was, um, a, you know, trans programming. When I came on board, I was getting my 
medication through Howard Brown because we weren't actually treating trans women yet. So, you know, I mean, finally in 2014, we started doing feminizing hormones. I was working there for seven years, right? In that time, in those seven years, only one person once misgendered me, which is not what happens anywhere else. Even, you know, my family, people I live with, people in my um, church, you know, people in my denomination, everything. They all, like, everybody kind of screws up and misgenders me. It's just something that people do. But the fact that it only ever happened once and that the end that that person corrected themselves almost immediately. In the whole seven years I was in there with all the people I worked with, I mean, that's a miracle in my mind. Like, for, for me, to me, that's a miracle. It's miraculous that everybody else has just, everybody, my whole experience there was being accepted as a woman. And I don't, don't I've never experienced that anywhere else in my life. So, you know, I mean, so yeah, mistakes were made and it was a challenge and it took a lot to turn the ship around. But once it turned around, man. Here I was ready for Juby to tell me about the microaggressions, the low-key transphobia that working at a place with the history of exclusionary feminism living inside its very walls. And yet... Juby shows us that CWHC kept the work of learning and growing and healing alive. When I first got into the position, you know, my job was to sort of um, also go through each department and make sure that, you know, we were on top of just cultural competency and that kind of thing. In her role as TGAP coordinator, Juby worked with other staff members to help bring CWHC to the place where it is today where it continues to actively evolve to meet the needs of trans clients and to live up to the mission of offering trans-inclusive care across all of its programs. I talked to all the directors and coordinators and was sort of asking them, you know, okay, so, you know, we've been at this for a while, for trans stuff. What comes up the most? What's the biggest concern? What's the biggest thing? And um, universally... (laughs) The thing that came up in all the committees was fear of making mistakes. And so that's when I started really emphasizing in my trainings, if you treat, if you make a mistake, if you mis, if you mispronounce somebody or you make, or you, you know, make a mistake with their preferred name or any of that kind of stuff, if you overreact to that mistake, if you treat that mistake differently than you would treat any other mistake you're othering the person that's why you need to let go of your fear of making a mistake (laughs) and just treat it like any other mistake not to treat a mistake any different uh, with a trans person any different you would you would treat a mistake with anybody else if you don't learn from your mistakes or change your mistakes then there's a huge problem but on the other hand if you make a mistake and you try and correct it and move on Like, if you get stuck on a mistake, you can't move on either. You know what I mean? CWHC made mistakes. And Juby's story shows us that no, they didn't get stuck. And now, TGAP, like all of CWHC's programs, 
has continued to evolve and to help all clients pursue their health and personal goals. How I came to decide that I wanted hormone therapy and when I kind of um, explained to her my gender journey and why this was important to me. There was no judgment. It was just kind of like, okay, great, awesome, like taking this down. Asked me about my goals and understood that like not all trans people's transitions look the same and really asked me a lot of questions. And I never felt that there was no doubt that I knew what I wanted which was great. That was so affirming and so comforting in the history taking part. Um, I just felt listened to, really. The biggest thank you to the tireless and blessed hearts of Juby, Jess, Terry, Riley, and all of the Clinical Services Committee at the Chicago Women's Health Center. This episode was produced by me, Ariel Mejia, and edited by Terry Capsalis, Sarah Rebecca Gaglio, and AJ Barks. Additional editorial support from Jess Kane, Riley Johnson, and a special thanks to Cass Adair. Learn more about Chicago Women's Health Center and this podcast at chicagowomenshealthcenter.org. Mirror and a Flashlight is made possible by CWHC's Community of Support. Our special thanks to Corbett versus Dempsey, Women Unite, Early to Bed, Women and Children First Bookstore, Laura McAlpine Consulting for Growth, and Mats Gustafsson and Catalytic Sound. Oh, and also thank you to Sydney Roth, playlist magician extraordinaire. <laughs>